Hey, it's good to be here with you all. Uh, my name is Eric Wakeling, one of the pastors here at Calvary Church, and just excited to continue this whole Chronicles of the Kings series that we're in. Uh, I think this series has been super interesting so far to look at these stories of these kings that typically have a bunch of intrigue and wars and deception and fights. They're a little bit of a soap opera, you know, and uh, it's it's pretty interesting stuff, but also we can learn a ton, I think, about how we can live our lives, but also how we need to look to a king that is greater than the kings that we see in these books, that we have a king who is the greater king in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to be about even today as we look at King Asa. King Asa is uh, a king that we're going to, he's going to be in Second Chronicles 14 to 16, and King Asa He starts well, but doesn't necessarily finish well. Okay, so I want to set a little bit of that up for you. Where you've got King Asaw to, as you see on the screens here, you've got in your little bulletin outline, you can see that there's a map in there as well. But if you remember, as we've been going, that we've got the kingdom of Israel, this united kingdom of Israel that you'll see up here, that, that was led by Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, and then even to this guy named Rehoboam that you learned about last week. But then under Rehoboam, there comes a division. And now you've got Jeroboam who becomes king in the north, which is now called Israel. And then you've got this guy Rehoboam who was king in the south. Okay, so kingdom of Israel, which is ten tribes all in the north, is now Israel. Now in the south, you have the kingdom of Judah, which is actually Judah and Benjamin. And the king that we're looking at today, named King Asa, is one of the kings of Judah. And this timeline is in your your bulletins as well. And you can see that Asa is the third king of the southern kingdom, this kingdom of Judah. Okay, so that's where we're at in the history and all of this. And even, you know, as we go through this series... Don't worry, we're not doing every single one of these kings up there. But that's the line of the kings and how we're doing these highlights. We're looking at uh, some different stories of some kings that do well and some kings that do terribly and some kings that have a little bit of both. But our buddy King Asa today starts off strong but then struggles. And a little bit like uh, this football player named Deshaun Jackson that you're going to see in this video clip right now. Check it out. He is going deep for Deshaun Jackson, who races, has it, touchdown! They think that he let the football go before he's in in the end zone. I can understand Wade Phillips throwing the red flag, and he should. There you see it. Jackson gets behind both Cowboys defenders, and he is able to walk in for the score. Oh, if only he had walked in for the score. Instead, he celebrates too early, drops the ball at the one-yard line. He should know better after doing something like that in high school as well. Oh, what a fail. Celebrating in the end zone for a touchdown you didn't score. (laughs) All right. So that's the thing, right? Deshaun Jackson, he trained hard. He works hard. He went fast off the line of scrimmage. He beat the defender. He caught the ball. He was doing great. He's got one more thing to do. And he just completely blows it and forgets to finish Well, we have to go all the way, all the way across the finish line or in football to get into the end zone. And so for us, as we look into the story, I want us to really remember that lesson, that we can start strong, but we also need to finish well. So hopefully you got your Bibles, 
grab them, turn to 2 Chronicles 14, and uh, we're going to go through this story today, and you can see if you got the Bible on the back of the seat in front of you, it's on page 326 to 328, and you can look into this story as we see how Asah does well and then begins to struggle a bit. So it starts, chapter 14, verse 2, it says, Asah did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. For he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. So he starts off good. And uh, we saw how, how last week, and we're going to see in a lot of these stories about how different kings, and even back in the period of the judges, where the people of Israel would begin to follow the gods of the nations that surrounded them, these false gods, and they'd have these high places, they were called, these altars up on these high places, and they'd have these asherim, or these poles, that were a way of, kind of an altar to worship this false god named Asherah, okay? So they have a tendency to do that, but, uh, and God says, no, don't do that. God says, get rid of them. And Esau is doing a good job. So he does. He gets rid of them. And so we're, we're, we're feeling good here. It says then next that he fortifies the cities. He strengthens the kingdom of Judah to be strong against their enemies. You've got some good leadership here. And then an enemy comes. And it is an enemy from the south led by a guy named Zerah the Ethiopian. And this army comes against them. And it says here that Asah has 300,000 from Judah and 280,000 from Benjamin. So they have 580,000 soldiers. But they are going up against an army, it says, of 1 million men and 300 chariots. Now that's kind of like it's kind of like tanks back then, right? To have the 300 chariots. It's bringing in the, the heavy armored cavalry, actually, okay? And so you've got that sort of advantage with those 300 tanks and a million people against 580,000. So the odds are stacked against them. So we see, what do they do? What do they decide to do about it? What sort of plan do they make? Do they go and get help from some other countries? What do they do? And we see in verse 11, it says, Then Asah called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you. And in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. And it goes on to say that so then the Lord routs the Ethiopians, that they have great victory over this army, and the, the people of God can celebrate. This kingdom of Judah can celebrate, and they take away a bunch of plunder, and they have this victory because they relied on God. They relied on God, and God has come through for them. And the thing I think that we can learn, and, and, and through a lot of these stories, okay, is I want us to be aware of what we're doing as we learn in these stories, okay? Because the easiest thing, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but the easiest thing for us to do is to say, okay, Asah relied on God, it went well, therefore I rely on God, things will go well. Right? Like, that's sort of like the easiest parallel for us to draw. And uh, Dave's taught this, I think, awesome lesson for me that it says that there are temporary practices, but timeless 
principles, okay, so that we can learn from certain things in the Old Testament that, okay, that might not be exactly how we do it later, but we learn that timeless principle for how we can live our lives. So that reliance on God is our timely principle here, okay? Now, we also don't want to necessarily follow everything that these kings do, uh, definitely not, um, but we also want to see how these kings show us the need for a greater king. That we cannot just rely upon the kings of this world, that we cannot just trust in the ways of this world, but that we have to look to a greater king and we have one provided by the Lord who is God himself, Jesus Christ. That Jesus shows us that in the flesh, tangible example of what that greater king looks like, that we can rely on Jesus. And now some of Jesus' words himself were, were this. He says, If God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? That God cares about you. He says God cares about grass. <laughs> right? Grass. Grass in the field. God even cares about the grass. So how much more does the God of the universe care about you, you who are created in his image, you who he loves so deeply? God cares about you. And he says, I will take care of you. Rely on me. Trust in me. I have what it takes. But the beautiful thing is that that we know that we can rely on Jesus, and Jesus comes through. He is the king that, that fulfills it all, right? So we trust in him. We, he cares about us. We care for him. We don't rely on our earthly kings, but we also don't rely on our works, right? We don't rely on ourselves to be good enough to save us and all of that. So we can rely on God, and he cares for us. And then our story continues to see how Asa does not just rely on God, he seeks God. And so that takes us into chapter 15. And what happens is they have this great victory, and then a prophet comes. All right, this prophet is named Azariah. And Azariah comes and he says this. This is verse 2 of 15. He says, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him... He will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And he goes on to share some warnings about that with them. And so what does Asa do here? Asa continues to do well. He's doing a good job. He responds to that, like, to that judgment, to that prophecy, to these words of God to him. He responds well. They don't always respond well. He doesn't always respond. Okay, so we're going to see this here. It says, verse 8, when he hears these words that the prophet spoke, he took courage. And he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin. So I don't know if there was more left that he hadn't got rid of yet or exactly what was happening there. But he gets rid of these altars even more. He restores the altar of the Lord. He uh, even assembles all of the people of Judah and Benjamin. He gets them all together in Jerusalem. And they make these sacrifices. If you see in verse 11, they sacrifice 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And it says, they entered into the covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. 
So they enter this covenant with God. They want to seek him with all that they have in him. That's what they're doing. That's what they want. That's the way they respond to the words of this prophet. And so they do, and they, they have all these sacrifices, and they sound these trumpets. And it says in 15 that they all rejoice concerning the oath which they had swore with their whole hearts as they sought him earnestly, and he let them find him. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. And it goes on to even say, it's kind of intense, that in the next verse, that Asa also removes his mom from the role of queen mother. Her name's Ma'aka, which is a kind of a cool name. So he removes Ma'aka from her position as queen mother because she was worshiping an Asherim. Okay? So she was following these false gods still. So he's even willing to go that far. He's, he's responding so well. He's doing so good. He seeks after God and gets the whole nation of Judah to follow after God. And so we, we learn from this, right? We see that even this verb seek, this word that we see to seek, is it's used nine times in Asa's story that he really does long for God's heart. He longs for God's help in what he is going to do and how he's going to lead his nation. And, uh, you know, I think for us, as we want to think about this, how can we be men and women who seek after God's heart? And just uh, kind of like funny story-wise, but I was watching this one Seinfeld episode, okay? So there's a whole Seinfeld episode about uh, the speed dial list. Now, you remember on our, like, old-timey phones, now old-timey, like the 90s old-timey, okay? Not super old-timey, but, like, today, these are, these are considered old-timey. But, you know, where you've got your phone, and then you've got the, your normal dialing numbers, but above it would be a bunch of other numbers listed 1 through 10, and maybe a little piece of plastic would cover it, and then you'd write people's names on 1 or 2 or 3 or 4, right? And those were your speed dial list. And so they've got this whole thing in the Seinfeld episode where Jerry is starting to date this girl. And he sees that he was number four on her speed dial list. But then they have a bad date, and he kind of goes cheap on her with it. And he sees the next time he goes over there that he's number seven. And he's like, no. And so he's talking with his friends, like, I got to get higher on the speed dial list, right? And so this whole thing. And so he does this amazing date where he takes her out and spends, like, way too much and does flowers and the whole bit. And then he goes over there and finally finds out that he is number one on her speed dial list. And I remember they said, and that's hard. They've got to remove the plastic and scratch out the other name, you know, and the whole thing. And, uh, <laughs> but then he's foiled because the, the, the girlfriend's mom is mad because she is no longer number one. And so she sabotages their relationship and they eventually break up. And <laughs> so in classic Seinfeldness, but that funny, you know, thing of just, I got to be number one. And, and with all of that is just, you know, that there's this thing and it's like, it's kind of like, cheesy pastor illustration thing here, right? But it is that notion that, like, where does God come, you know, in our speed dial list? Like, how, like, what do we seek after first? You know, when struggle comes, when questions come, when uh, a hard time comes, when we don't know what to do, who do we call first, right? Who do we call first? And it's okay to go to friends, and it's okay to go to family and all that, but, like, but where does God come where is Jesus on your speed dial list? Do we seek after him first? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all those things will be added to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You know, we know these things. 
we know what we're talking about here. So we want to be men and women who seek after God's heart first when, like all the time, but when those hard times come, we want to be seeking after him and in that confusion, seek after him. But what I think is one of those beautiful things about Jesus is that Jesus does not just say, seek after me. It says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That we follow a God who doesn't just say, seek me, but he seeks us. Jesus' mission was to seek and save those who are lost. And he says to you and I, I will seek you. But I also want your heart to be, you know, in line with my heart. Do we have that same heart to seek and save those who are lost, to point them to Jesus? We worship a God who is mighty and strong. And so I encourage you to persevere in this, to continue to rely on God and to seek God with all your life. That is the God that we worship is is a God that we can seek and rely on and we can count on him because he does come through. He is steadfast. And so I want to encourage those of you, first of all, those of you if you are younger, and I'm just letting you all self-identify here, okay? If you are younger, uh, I want to encourage you to seek and rely on God. Resolve that your life will be, as your life goes, that you will first seek Jesus. When you are confused, when you encounter struggle, when you don't know what to do in this life, when you doubt, whatever it might be, seek Jesus first. Resolve for that. And I want to say to you, if you are older, self-identify again. And I will say, I'm placing myself there, actually. So if that helps, you know, (laughs) to self-identify for you. I'm saying here, if you identify as older, be reminded to not let this go as your life continues. Resolve to finish well. As you seek and rely on Jesus in the later years of your life. That you will not forget what God has done. That you will be reminded of what he wants to continue to do in your life. You know, there's this quote that's like, there's no uh, unemployment or retirement in the kingdom of God. We are all in. We're always in. We never stop serving Jesus. So be resolved to continue to seek him and rely on him. Because tragically, our buddy Asa does not. Okay, Asa begins to bypass God. And we'll look here at chapter 16. Okay, so grab your Bibles again. You can see here in, uh, in verse 1, it says, In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah. And so he basically goes to fight against them. Now you see on the map here, in the map in your bulletins, you've got now the kingdom of Israel in the north is attacking the kingdom of Judah in the south. What once were, you know, one nation are now divided and you have conflict between them. And so that's what's happening here. And now what we get to see is, so what does Asa do in this case? Does he again just cry out, Lord, you are our Lord. There is no one that can save us except you. No, he doesn't do that. At this point, he goes to the king of Aram. 
and he gives him a bunch of money, and he makes a treaty with the king of Aram and says, help us defeat Baasha, king of Israel. And it starts to work, and it is going well, but then verse 7, it says, at that time, Hanani the seer, so another prophet comes to Asa, king of Judah, and says this, because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. You will no longer get their help. Uh, we're not, he says, we're not the Ethiopians and the Lubim, an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. So he gets this pretty strong rebuke, right? He gets this strong rebuke, and so what does he do? I'm sure, last, I mean, last time he, he listened to the, the prophet, and he began to obey, and he did well. Unfortunately, not this time. So again, he's bypassing, and so we see Esau, it says he gets enraged at the seer and puts him in prison. So Esau does not like being told what to do. And I think a lot of us don't like being told what to do either, right? And so we respond in that way pretty easily. Now, unfortunately, kind of like Deshaun Jackson, who actually made that same mistake in a high school all-star game of celebrating too soon. He did a dive, and he landed at the one-yard line. He went to dive into the end zone and landed on the one-yard line, and he fumbled the ball as well. And he didn't learn from that. He did it again, you know, once he was in the pros. And in this case, Asa, it says, he became, it's really weird, right? In verse 12, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. And then it just says, he dies. So that's the end. And that's the end. That's like, all, that's all we know. That's how his story ends. Is that you've got this guy, Asa. He does so well. He's doing good. He seeks God. He relies on God. He's got these great victories. And he's doing all this wonderful stuff. And then all of a sudden, he just decides to trust in another king instead of God. And he says he did not seek the Lord, but trusted the physicians. Now, you've got to be careful here. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. It's none of that kind of a thing. I think the key is that he did not seek the Lord. Okay? He did not seek the Lord, but went to the physicians. So if we begin to trust, you know, physical help and stop trusting God, that's when we're getting off, right? That's when we're getting off base. And so for him, he bypasses the will of God, and, uh, and he begins to rely on others for success, to, on others for health in his life. And, you know, we can be tempted to trust in those the ways of worldly success. It's so easy. More money, more control, more power, more practical advice. Don't worry about what the Bible says. Don't worry about what God says. Just do what makes sense. It's so easy to begin down that road. Now what I want to show you is that what's so beautiful about Jesus is that Jesus never bypassed the will of the Father and his plan to redeem humanity. In his plan to redeem humanity, Jesus Never stop trusting, even though it was hard. And we see in Matthew 26, 39, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's about to, to know that he is going to suffer and die on the cross, to take the, the burden, to take all of sin and death upon himself and defeat it on the cross. And he's going to go through all of that. He says these words, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
if it's possible, do I, I, he doesn't really want to have to go through suffering. It's not that Jesus loves to suffer. That's not what the story is about. It's that suffering is awful, but Jesus is willing to take it upon himself because he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so let those be the words that we trust in Jesus and a God who says, He submits to the Father's will, and he shows us how we can submit to the will of God in our lives. But we also trust that the work has been done by him, that he has paid that price to redeem humanity from that sin. And so we trust in him. But again, we recognize that trusting in him in those moments is extremely, extremely difficult. Okay? We get that, right? We get that it's hard to remember. And so that's the why we have some rhythms of our spiritual life. We have rhythms like communion. You know, we take communion regularly because we forget easily. And we want to remember that it's Jesus' work on the cross, that Jesus died, that Jesus suffered, his body given for us, his blood shed for us, so that we would have forgiveness of sin. It's not from our works. We remember that he did it. We remember by going to church regularly, by reading our Bibles, by praying regularly. We go to things that help us with this. You know, finishing well is hard, so we need help. What's cool is we have like a ton of people in our church and people that teach. There's this thing called the master's program that maybe you've heard of. And the whole point of it, it's for men and women. The whole point of the master's program is that it is for people who you've been doing well maybe throughout your life and you've experienced some success, but you're maybe starting to you know, trying to figure out what is the rest of my life going to be about? How can I go from success to a life of significance? And so how can we take it that next step and finish well? It's those sorts of things that help us to do that. So if you, you know, write down master's program, Google it, figure it out. All right. But what we have to remember, what we need to be able to do, okay, is that we need to remember that Jesus can't just be part of our lives. I want to show you something, okay? We often do this. We have, all, we have our life, and we've got our, the segments of our life. And, you know, we got work and school or ministry. Like, we go to church and we do stuff here. You know, Jesus is part of it. Family, friends, exercise, entertainment, all that. And we're like, yeah, Jesus has become part of my life, right? Jesus is now a part of it. And that's good. I want Jesus as part of my life. And we're feeling pretty good about this. We might even feel really good if it's this. We're like, guess what? Jesus is a big part of my life. Jesus is a lot. You know, I also have work and school and all these other things. There's a problem with this illustration, even though it might look good, okay? The problem is this, is that Jesus must be the center of our life, not just the most important part of our life. And here is what I want you to see. I want you to see a picture where we have all of our life, but Jesus is at the center of that. But the thing is, is that Jesus is also permeating and part of all of the other parts of our lives. Because so often we can say, you know, I've got Jesus. Jesus, I want you in my life, but guess what? I'm going to work now. And hey, Jesus, can you stay in your wedge over there on the pie of my life? I'm going to work now, and I'm going to do the work thing over here. And I'm not, I don't need you right now, so just stay over there. I need to rely on you. I'll come back to your little pie. You know, I will rely on seek and seek you over here. But, you know, I'm hanging out with my friends right now. And my friends, we kind of want to do some other stuff other than the Jesus-y stuff. 
right? And so that's what we do. Instead of having Jesus be center and permeating our entertainment and our exercise and our friends and our family. Yeah, that's why you should go to CalFit so you can have Jesus be exercised, okay? And uh, work and school and all that. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's got to be that. We've got to be able to make that transition. To transition to having a life where Jesus is at the center of our life, not just part of it. You get that? Are you with me on this? Okay. There's a weird movie called Stalker, and it's not really about stalkers. I actually didn't even watch the whole thing. It's in Russian. Um, but I just heard the story because it's also based off a, a short story. It's a strange sci-fi, and one of these post-apocalyptic, like the world is, it's all dark all the time and creepy, and there's like aliens. It's a strange, strange, strange movie, okay? But I thought it had this very interesting thing about it that I wanted to tell you. So... This whole world, this whole world, everything's bad, it's bleak, they're being killed, it's just, it's an awful, awful world. But there's this place they call the room. Now, the room is a place that if you make it to the room, it will give you whatever you desire most. So it's like part of this movie is that they're, you know, these adventures to try to get to the room. Like they want to be able to get to the room. It's very hard. There's a lot of dangers and all of that to get to the room. But when you get to the room, it gives you what you want most. Now remember, I did not say it grants your wish. It gives you what in your heart you desire most. So some of the twists and turns when you start to think about that are you've got a very dark world, a lot of things happening. You've got people that enter into the room that want revenge. The thing they want most is revenge. And so it grants the desire of their heart and someone is killed in the world. It's still a dark, bleak world and it's awful. You've got people that enter the room who have what they desire and long for most is some fleeting lust, right? Some sort of desire of the flesh, whatever it might be, and it might grant them that. So it'll grant them that. And they're still in this bleak, dark world. But they've had this momentary pleasure. You've got people that enter the room and they've got maybe bigger dreams, but they're selfish, right? They're selfish desires and it's all about them. So all of a sudden they get a ton of money, but they live in a world with all these scary aliens and stuff and they get killed anyway, right? You know, it's that, it's that sort of thing where whatever your heart desires most, you are granted, you are given. But it's got all these twists and turns. And so I want us to think about this. Like if the room existed and we were living in that world, what would happen what would happen when you go into the room? What would be that desire of your heart that would be granted to you that you desire most? Is it some revengeful thing? Is it a fleeting lust? Is it a greedy desire? What do you desire most? And again, I want us to consider... How is Jesus the center of our desires, of our longings, of what we hope for most? Would Jesus have anything to do with that desire? Would Jesus enter that picture? Would even Jesus' desire, right, his will, that he came to seek and save the lost, that he came to make the Father known, that people would be reconciled to the Father, could, could our desires align with those desires that we would see this incredible shift happen in the world when the desires of our heart are granted? 
And, and so I want us to begin to think through some of that thing, to seek him to transform your deepest desires to be more like Christ, to be more like what the desires of Christ would be. And so just as we close, that we recognize that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king that can be relied upon, who seeks us, who never bypasses the will of God, the will of the Father. And so I challenge you to rely on God, to seek God, and to not bypass God, to to finish well. And the way that we finish well is to fix our eyes on Jesus. That if this whole thing is a race, right, and and the New Testament refers to that we are running a race, and if the point of running a race is to cross the finish line, we need to know what the finish line is. And so men and women, I say Jesus is the finish line. Seek Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and cross the finish line. Finish well, but align the desires of your heart to be with those of Christ. And so we're going to head into this time of worship now. And I encourage you on your bulletins, in this little part, there's a part that says response on the bottom. And it says this. I want you to think through this either now or sometime later today as we sing these songs to you now. To take a moment to write down on the outline what you want the most in life. What do you want most? That deep desire. And then consider and reflect on how you spend your time, money, and attention. And if those, like, reflect on what you say you desire most. And then pray and reflect on how Jesus can grow into becoming what you want the most in this world, both in desire and in practice of what you actually do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, thank you so much that you are the rock, that you are steadfast, that you can be trusted in, relied upon, sought after, and you will be there, God. Lord, you are always good. Lord, you are always faithful. And so, Lord, we want to be more like you. God, may you transform us to be men and women whose hearts are after your heart, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.